0: I'm involved with climate issues because I've got two small children. We were um, down in Bermagui when there was the, the black summer, so we were evacuated down to the beach at the time. I had a new, newborn and a seven-year-old. Um, and so having lived through that, which was quite horrendous, and looking at my seven-year-old at the time, who looked at me and said, are we going to be safe, mummy? And I was like, I have no idea.
1: Yes, that's Amy Blaine having what was really an epiphany about the climate crisis. Amy is the chairperson of the Canberra-based People's Climate Assembly. Yes, welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I am your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I eventually made contact with Amy via a webinar organised by Anjali Sharma for the duty of care. I'd been on the webinar, saw a fellow called John Smith. I made contact with John, spoke to him briefly, well, spoke to him for a while, and he'll come up later in this podcast, but he suggested I should talk to Amy Blaine, the chairperson of the People's Climate Alliance, who he said was a real live wire. Not only is Amy, as John said, but she is truly committed to doing something about the climate crisis. Let's have a listen now to what we talked about. Amy, tell me why you got involved with climate issues.
0: I'm involved with climate issues because I've got two small children. We were um, down in Bermagui when there was the, the black summer, so we were evacuated down to the beach at the time. I had a new newborn and a seven-year-old. Um, and so having lived through that which was quite horrendous and looking at my seven-year-old at the time who looked at me and said are we going to be safe mummy and I was like I have no idea whether we will or won't be and you know it, it the sense of relief when that change of weather, the change of direction of the wind and every you know the black sky went to clear that kind of sense of relief was palpable for everyone down there at the time and I just thought you know what I, I can't have my two small children living through this like this becoming the new normal for them i have to be doing everything i possibly can to make sure they don't live through this again i mean i was taking ash out of my newborn's ear and my seven-year-old had to get ash out of her eyes and it was just awful um and so that motivated me to move from being quite climate aware and active to being i have to be doing everything i possibly can for them to have a safe future
1: so that was in 2020 or 2019
0: yeah, the 1920. Yeah. And then coming back to Canberra, we then lived through a month of folk in Canberra and just worrying about what that was doing to those small little lungs that were developing. Um, and so it was just it was just a, a really horrendous time and a reminder that, you know, we had to move from being you know aware to being really active. Um, And so that's why I then joined the Australian Parents for Climate Action. I'm now with the Australian Conservation Foundation, Canberra, and the chair of the People's Climate Assembly.
1: Well, you're involved in all sorts of things, as as are many people, aren't they? (laughs)
0: Yes. Mm, Yes. Well, I think that kind of triggered us to be a lot more active. Um, I'm a strong believer that we need to be building our community resilience. I see that we need to kind of really strengthen how we respond as a community to disasters just so that we can actually prepare for actually moving forward. So I do a lot of community building here as well um, in my local one and also just how we can help support other communities around Australia.
1: So you also had bushfires quite close to Canberra itself, didn't you? Was that when yeah. when did that happen?
0: That was also I mean, there was ones that previously, but ninety the twenty nineteen-20 bushfires impacted quite severely anyway in terms of smoke, but also there were fires that were going around that time and I wasn't there for the ones that had happened before that. Uh, we've we're from the UK, so bushfires are not something we are used to. Mm. Um but yes, it's it, there have been we know, know we know friends who have have been through the fires previously in Canberra, so we know that it's a reality. We're not in a little cocoon, and when there's bushfires raging in New South Wales, we feel the smoke.
1: So, what brought you to Australia?
0: Um, better way of life. Um, we've always loved the fact that uh, it seemed like there was a really good balance of of uh, life generally with work and nature and just it's just such a lovely place to live canberra itself is just it has the canberra blue that blue sky you can't get past it most times of the year you've got this stunning blue sky and it's just a very i just think it's a, a it, there is so many things nature um the biodiversity just everything so much to enjoy here that uh, we came for a, a short while and then stayed because it's just so wonderful
1: so it was the it was being on the beach during those bushfires that was the the epiphany for you, was it, I take it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just that horror of just waking up and I remember saying to my partner, I was like, I don't know why the sky is jet black at seven in the morning. I was like, why is it so dark outside? And just the, it just felt like living in a nightmare, just going through that. And then afterwards, after the impacts of the fire, which had affected the water filtration, the power lines were down. There was no phone signals. There was no water in the supermarkets. And I was just like, wow, we've got small children that we're here to protect our duty is to protect them from these events, and there's it felt extremely powerless at those moments to say, you know, we can't, we don't even have water to drink. We have to be boiling water and just feeling that that sense of urgency in the moment, and then just saying, you know, we had to all stay in the bed waiting for a possible evacuation out, um, and the roads were closed. And I know that people, our experience was relatively uh, relatively untraumatic, but we are still living with the trauma. Our children live with the trauma. They're very, very sensitive to any sign of smoke. They can pick it so far away and they know what it smells like and they know what it looks like. They know when the sky is not quite right. And I I just saw on the um, on my news feed just yesterday about, you know, Birmingham having fires again. And I know that there's there's people in the Bega Valley who there's a small farm there the dairy farm that they have just had a devastating fire where they've lost 550 of their 700 acres have just been burnt out and that was just you know to me I was just like wow it's happened again and that was only they had to rebuild from those fires back in 2019 and it's you know in the next you know they only had a few years to rebuild and they've been hit again and it's devastated them and I just think you know how do we prepare our communities these communities we're hoping they're going to be resilient and we know they're just going to keep getting hammered. They're going to be re- rebuilding and they have to just, you know, they, those that family, the the Jackson family in Bega Valley you know, they're at breaking point because they've just spent all that time rebuilding and they've done, um, they've got tr- replanted trees and they've got nature corridors. And, you know, how are we preparing our, our communities to actually weather these increasing disasters that they're going to be experiencing?
1: Do you have any insights on how we prepare?
0: How do we prepare? I mean, there's we have to focus. that like we know that communities and helping communities lead those recoveries and rebuilding are key and essential. And we have to refund them. We have to we have to give them the, the infrastructure and the support to do that. And I know that some of those communities that were really hit hard in those 2019-2020 fires have not had the support and the recovery and the chance to rebuild. Um, you know, there's a series of things that we have to prepare those communities to be really strong. We know that, that some of them will be really anxious and that they will be stressed and that they... You
1: know. Sadly, we lost connection for a moment, but then we pick it up again.
0: Um, there are early detection. I know that there's something from May at the moment, which is looking at using drones to do early detection of those fires. I mean, I know with this fire in Bega Valley, it happened incredibly quickly. If we were able to spot those fires around these communities that are already deeply traumatised or have had really disastrous ex- experiences already, we should be rallying around them to say, let's put resources where we know that they're needed so that they don't have to keep going through these rebuild prepare rebuild prepare we need to kind of invest our resources to say you know these communities really need to be um, prioritized and the government when they made promises needed to have done that work to actually make sure that they are prepared and that they are resilient and actually hear what those communities are asking for.
1: Well I didn't meet you I didn't actually see you on the webinar this morning but you were there the duty of care thing so.
0: Yes yes absolutely yes very much behind that Care one. I mean, I remember meeting Anjali at the um at the actual launch of it in Parliament, and just you know, it just made me tear up. And I was like, "Can I just give you a hug, Anjali Because to me, it's just like, "Thank you for doing something that I, as a parent, feel we're not doing enough of. That the duty of care for our children and future children is such a key thing that we could do." I mean, it blows my mind that any government would say that they don't have a duty of care to future generations, and would take you know court to say no we don't have that duty I mean we all think it's implicit surely like a government of the day should be looking at the interests of our future and our future generations not thinking short term and the next election cycle we really should everyone has a responsibility the government particularly has a responsibility to be taking the action now that we know we need to be taking I mean for a government that keeps saying that it is following the science they need to stop investing in all coal and gas projects it's it's mind-blowing that they're not and i just love this this activism being driven by young people i mean it's absolutely incredible that they are taking the fight to where it needs to go to because they're not being heard at the moment um and i am fully behind that to me for my two young children i this is absolutely what i want to see the government uh, get behind and also what government is going to say that they don't have a duty of care to the future generation.
1: What big plans have you got coming up for the People's Climate Assembly?
0: Uh, well, I, we are. We will be supporting the Duty of Care campaigning. We're very strongly behind that. We're also very strongly behind the Middle Arm. We supported the Northern Territory delegation of paediatricians and parents and doctors that came down to Canberra, we're very conscious as well that we follow our Pacific leaders and support any activism that's going around that. So, you know, argument, there is the Port Vila um, agreement and accord that we would like to be supporting. So we see our role as connecting and communicating across the, our local climate action groups, but also looking at those ones across Australia. We're particularly keen to support First Nations any campaigning that's happening around, which impacts on, on you know, the, the cultural heritage um, of particular sites like Murrajuga and Woodside, you know, we would be very keen to see them remove the industry that has developed there, given that they have made a commitment to zero industry on those sites. So we kind of see ourselves as kind of like rallying around and supporting the incredible and powerful advocacy that we're seeing. Um, and also just wherever we're seeing fossil fuel companies so we look at the sponsorship we look at the Walkley's Award we looked at Questacon we know that there is work that we need to do um, in schools because one of the things is that we look at the social license that fossil fuel companies have and it penetrates so many different areas it's in our schools it's in our sports clubs. so um, we're trying to remove that influence um but you know it's it's an insidious system that they have managed to (laughs) infiltrate so yeah it's trying to unpack those things and um trying to just i think our strongest thing as a movement is to coordinate across there is so much power within the in the campaigns that we're seeing at state and federal level um that I feel that we have to be throwing everything at that we have at the moment to showing how powerful we are through those connections um, and amplifying the different voices, the ones that need to be heard, the First Nations voices, the young people, Pacific Islanders. Um, So yeah, that's where I think the PCA has its greatest strength is actually trying to show the solidarity and support and bringing, drawing those connections to the different advocacy groups that are Coming down to Canberra and all trying to lobby, but obviously at the moment there is still an incredibly powerful fossil fuel lobbying that's happening at the moment.: um,
1: Amy, I'm involved with some groups here in Shepherd, and for argument's sake, we had a, a, something we wanted to raise on a federal, from a federal point of view, which involved something in Canberra. Would you help coordinate that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. we love to hear when people are coming down. We'd love to just, even if it's a case of knowing that you've got the support and solidarity of the People's Climate Assembly, um, we can come and help do rallies or just, you know, just just connecting with the people that are here in Canberra who are very keen to come along and show their support. We've got an incredible banner team that can whip up banners, um, you know, around on the lawns of Parliament. They're incredibly effective. And so there's, you know, they've got messaging on all sorts because (laughs) we try every single angle, but they're, there is a very strong um, and very committed group of people who the Fridays for Future group here also do regular um, Fridays where they meet. at the, They're out on the roads trying to, you know, spread the make it very clear to Canberrans that we are still um, very visible and making it aware that, you know, uh, we still need to be taking this this action. So, yes, we, we definitely need to do that. And we'd like to just be able to show that, you know, there are lots of different groups that are doing work and we want to be able to amplify those voices and platform them where we can.
1: I mean, I run a small group in Shepparton called Beneath the Wisteria, so-called because that's where we used to meet Beneath the Wisteria. Beautiful. But the wisteria's gone in the name of progress oh. in the name of progress, sadly. Oh no! Um, but during COVID, I, I continued like we meet once a month. So I continued that via Zoom. So, is would you be in, 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 uh, involved in something like that? Would you come to beneath the wisteria beneath the wisteria via Zoom?
0: Yeah, I'd love to. Sounds great. I mean, I think that's also the power. There's so many things at the moment that we zoom into, yeah. different groups to link in. There's the awesome grassroots groups. But yes, I absolutely love meeting with other climate groups just because you feel that sense of solidarity yeah. and find out different ideas and link everyone together. And I think those networks are so key. And that sense of community is really key. So, yeah. It, it wouldn't be fantastic. until next
1: year now. I'm sort of pretty busy at the moment. So, um, yeah. It'll be in, I don't know, February or something. So.
0: Sadly, I think we'll still still be fighting the fight then, I'm sure, so that's sure, fine. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Sure
1: will. <laughs> I made contact with Amy through John Smith, who was the treasurer, among many other things, at the People's Climate Assembly, and I commented about what a good bloke he seemed to be and how active he was.
0: It is absolutely fantastic. I say John Smith is an absolute legend here. He does so many things. He coordinates so many things. We work together a lot on submissions. And um, yeah, John has got his finger on the pulse. And we're incredibly lucky to have such an incredible advocate that is, you know. and, And John himself is a bushfire survivor. And the complications of experiencing smoke exacerbates his asthma. And he has been hospitalized when we had the bushfires, instance before so we're very alive to the fact that health and health impacts from climate events and climate disasters is really critical to be part of our messaging because it the impacts are just felt so profoundly and also then the anxiety and stress that these events cause from people thinking well you know for John he could be hospitalized if we have another month-long uh, smoke experience so
1: In wrapping up, I said to Amy, it will take me a couple of days to get this episode all together, because I said, although I'm retired, I've got no idea how I ever found time to go to work.
0: (laughs) Isn't it always the way my parents said the same? It's like, they're so busy now, so I can't fit in a job. Just wanted to say to you as well, I listened to Angelou's podcast that you did with her, and it was a great one. It was, yeah, a really interesting segment, and I'm now following you, so I shall listen um, to your climate conversations. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Robert. Cheers. Thank you. See you. Bye.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Amy. It was great to talk with you, and you epitomise what's good about people who care about the climate. Next, I talk with the treasurer of the People's Climate Assembly, John Smith. I met John, if you can meet somebody, on a webinar, a webinar about the duty of care, organised by Sydney-based Angeli Sharma, who's been battling with this issue since she was at least 16 years old. She's now 19 and studying law. Let's have a listen now to what went on between John and I when we had a chat soon after the webinar. John is officially the treasurer of the People's Climate Assembly, but he does many more things. Anyway, let's have a listen to what he has to say.
2: Back in, uh, when was it? Back in. The, the People's Climate Assembly came out of Extinction Rebellion, so that all the people who were who started PCA were Extinction Rebellion people. But we had the view that not everybody was comfortable with the edginess that XR does, um, and so we decided we wanted something that was a bit broader based, and so we created the People's Climate Assembly, which is actually a it's more of an umbrella group than a group in its own right, if you know what I mean. So we've we our members are mostly groups uh, in Canberra and members of groups in Canberra. So, um, it, it, although it was originally kicked off, as I said, from Extinction Rebellion, it was it was because the, the, those in it, like myself and John Worker and others, who were um, uh, we, we felt that we wanted something family friendly to be able to get a broader cross section involved, and that meant we so and as I said, we organised. Um, uh, we, we actually came into existence in December uh, 2019, and we organised a, a five-day rally to run on the, f- at the beginning of February in 2020. So it was a pretty rushed time. Um, but that five-day rally went well. We had 5,000 people on the front lawns of Parliament House on the uh, on the, uh, the uh, Tuesday, which was the opening day of Parliament. We also did an encirclement of Parliament. Um, so we. Had people joined hands all the way around Parliament House. Um, so, and I mean, we had a huge lineup of speakers. Um, you know, yeah, Bob Brown and.
1: So, was that event successful, John?
2: Was it successful? Yes, it was.
1: Yeah. How do you measure su- su- success? Well,
2: <laughs> good question. Because we were look at that time, as you know, um, the country was on fire. Um, while we had while we were holding our rally, there were. Uh, water bombers flying across the top of Parliament House, heading out to fight fires in Namaji National Park. So it was pretty uh, pretty severe time, and we were shrouded in smoke. Um, it was a tough tough period. We thought that 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 this would be the yeah you know, the catalyst for a big move, and of course uh, right on the, the the tails of that came COVID, which took the wind right right out from under our sails. So. Of the whole climate, as it
1: did for many people. Well, yeah. the whole
2: climate movement copped it in the in the neck because of COVID, um, and so we weren't allowed on the streets. We weren't allowed to to meet. We we everybody reverted to Zoom meetings, and we existed for virtually two years on Zoom meetings alone, um, and just we kept kicking it ticking it over. You know, just had a small group continuing to run it, and but since. Covid has become less of an issue, though it's not gone away, of course. But even though it's less of an issue, we now um, uh, we, we organise things like uh, a lot of stuff that we do is um, um, bringing other groups together on particular projects. So one of our pet projects is uh, sponsorship of by fossil fuel companies. So we took on, along with others who had already been doing this for a long time, where we took on uh, Questacon because they were being sponsored by gas companies. Um, and they had uh, gas companies sponsored displays and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so we uh, we actually took action against Questacon and held die-ins. Uh, well, XR had held die-ins. Um, the uh Stop Adani had had taken action in the years before. So we joined in that. And, uh, and in the end, we the new government uh, provided Questacon with enough money to um, withdraw from having to have um, Gas uh, company sponsoring their program. Um, we also took on the midwinter ball, uh, and we held an alternative midwinter ball um, uh, on the while the real wind, midwinter ball was going on in Parliament House. We had an alternative on the front lawns. How'd um, that go? Well, that that went well um, because this year the uh, and we kept writing. We kept we hammered the uh, organisers with letters and complaints and everything else, and this year the organisers decided not to have any sponsorship at all, rather than drop, rather than just drop their Mm -hmm. sponsorship from Woodside and Shell, they decided not to have any sponsorship. The difficulty with that is that Woodside and Shell still went to the midwinter ball, (laughs) you know, so they still Mm -hmm. got in the ears Mm -hmm. of the parliamentarians, but that was another success. Another one we've got on the go at the moment, uh, along with um, – Thomas De declare is uh tackling the um uh, uh, the the walkley awards um okay yeah and we've we've been pushing that aspect on the walkleys we've been trying to create uh an alternative walkley's award for environment and we've been trying to get walkleys to drop Ampol as their uh key sponsor now that's Still, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing program. These things take a long time to to get effect, and it's not just any one group. But that's one of the things that we're involved in. We were involved. Sorry, go on.
1: You you're based in Canberra, aren't you? Yeah, so, that's right. So you, do you work primarily with Canberra groups, or do you yeah, work pri- with national? Primarily groups? primarily
2: with Canberra groups. But we, I mean, we're a member of Cana. So basically, what one of uh, one of the roles I see that uh, the PCA has is. Disseminating Canna information across the Canberra groups because a lot of Canberra groups that uh, aren't members of Canna as such, and so we, uh, I, I get all the Canna chat. I don't know whether you've seen that sort of stuff, but I, dis- I, dis- I, dis- I disseminate all that information. I sort of do a bit of editing. Um, I don't send everything, but I send stuff which I think is relevant uh, to the to the other groups in Canberra, um, and so we, we're a sort of a link between the various groups so that they know what's going on. So we're a member of the, um, um the environment center here in Canberra, but we're, uh, the, the, uh, but we're also, they're also a member of us. So, you know, it's sort of like we, we, and, uh, we've got, um, uh, the ACF Canberra as a, as, as a member, we've got, um, um, move beyond coal or stroke 350, um, we also try and work with youth, but they're very difficult to work with because they change so regularly. So we support, you know, School Strike for Climate where we can, but because they're only there for a year, it's really hard to maintain the links. Um, Amy, who you saw on the, on the call just now, she's out. She's, she was recently elected chair of the, uh, of the PCA. So um, she's, she's a very dynamic woman. And uh, so she's, she just uh, got elected chair just at our, AGM a couple of weeks ago. She's a powerhouse. If you want to talk to somebody who's, who's a real get-up-and-go woman, that's her. She's the one to talk to. Um,
1: well, you've done, you've done pretty well my head. But...
2: The other thing that we got involved with recently was that um, – I don't know whether you heard about it – was the uh, when the, the doctors came down from the Northern Territory to talk to the parliamentarians on the 8th of August, um, and uh, they – they had a big day here and they kicked off with a rally. Well, the PCA organised the rally for that event. That event was coordinated by Canna and the paediatricians from the Northern Territory. They came down to Canberra to go and talk to the politicians. And so the, the day kicked off with a rally and our job was to do the rally, so we did that. And we also provided the photographers and the video recorders for the day. Um, so... They're the sort of things that we do is work with other groups to try and enhance the the advantage of those groups. So we do some stuff off our own bat um, and we we do stuff um, from um, working with others to achieve outcomes. So we we try and work with Canna. We've worked with Canna. we work with Canna on the um, Dirty Dozen. You might have heard that going around earlier in the year. So we, we were involved with Canna doing... Uh, that project and we we particularly got um uh did some uh, sort of events uh, or stunts or whatever or media opportunities if you like outside of uh Appia and also outside of parliament house so that was was used on social media um then shortly after that um the pca and xr and the other groups actually held a blockade of Appia, and five xr members got arrested um we didn't put our name on that because the way we run things in canberra is if if it's going to be edgy xr normally steps up and puts their badge on it but if it's going to be family friendly the pca or Stoppadani or move beyond coal and the others ap4ca or something steps forward so we try and wear the appropriate hat for the appropriate action so that one because it was edgy um, um the PCA didn't have its name on it, but it provided half the funding. So it's that sort of arrangement, but XR took, put its name on it because they were the ones who were going to be getting arrested.
1: The way I understand, the PCA is quite a small organisation, is it correct? Yeah, it's mm-hmm.
2: only small, yeah.
1: And it's all made up of volunteers, it's obviously. small, but
2: mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. No, yeah, we've got no funds. Mm-hmm. we've got no money, so it's all, it's all sort of um, volunteer stuff. But... This year, um, so we did the, that August 8th Climate Health Climate and Health Day of Action where the, those paediatricians went in and spoke to parliamentarians. Um, we've done, um, we did the Dirty Dozen campaign. Um, we also uh, joined with others on uh, actions outside the National Press Club for the intergenerational report. Uh, we have regular meetings with David Pocock. Um, Who's our mm. local senator? Um, we work with XR and others on um, actions outside parliamentarians' offices, so we've got those running about every two weeks. That's mainly led by XR, but supported by yeah. all the groups. Um, uh, we do action on native forests, so we joined with the Bob Brown Foundation when they had a um, a rally rallies just in the last couple of months about native yeah. forests, uh, stopping native forest logging. Those are the sorts of things that we do. And then we support other groups like there was a mob came up from Victoria, the Southern, uh, Southern Sea Country Delegation, which is um, they're people from the uh, around the Great Ocean Road area. Um, there's a gas company planning on uh, seismic blasting off the coast of Victoria. I assume you're across yeah. that. I'm not sure. but um, And when they sent a delegation to Canberra, we met with them and then we organised for them to get access to David Pocock, which they – so, you know, they're the sorts – we do yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff. Like, we work work with groups and we work with people to achieve outcomes. So we're a small group, but I Did think – It's good work. We, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but basically. And I mean – and it's through working together. Like, the thing is, a lot of groups end up being siloed, you know. So um, – but in, in in a place like Canberra, which isn't all that big, uh, there's a lot of cross-membership of groups. So you know, I'm in, I'm a member of Move Beyond Coal and um, and uh, uh, and those and as I'm also a member of the ACF and I'm a, and, uh, of XR and of the PCA. So we're I'm in all of them, but my main focus is on XR and on the PCA. So I'm heavily involved in the Extinction Rebellion, but I'm also the I'm the treasurer for the PCA and I do all the, and On the executive committee of that, so uh, and I do all the admin for it, so you know, these are the sort of uh things that we try and organize. And then, as you saw, Amy there was saying, talking about trying to get um young people here. Well, you know, we're, we're looking at trying to do some fundraising. Well, that's a good cause to fundraisers to bring people to Canberra for events. Um, as, as I say, Amy's quite a a powerhouse um, things she gets involved in so
1: so why did why did PCA evolve What, what who drove it and what happened
2: well it was uh, it was an idea um, uh, from uh, what well uh, back in 2019 uh, we were looking for um, things to do uh, like events and things like that and one of our members had an idea for a big rally in Canberra. And out of that, and we thought, well, how are we going to do that? How are we going to organise that? Now, he was an XR member at the time, but he was from Sydney. And, uh, and so uh, he got involved. Uh, and, and, of course, we all just came together, basically, and started talking about creating a group. And we got a core group of, of people together and just put it together to to run the People's Climate Assembly, we've got a web page. I can refer. So I'll send you a link to it. So we do a lot of Facebook work. We do a lot of. Um, Amy does that mostly, and we do lots of uh, Amy and me. And we do. We've got a web page. Although the webpage is pretty much out of date. Um, it doesn't. We haven't got the people to um, <laughs> put the time in. It's always, in, but the, it's always for the way. The, for the, yeah, but doing the People's Climate Assembly, that five-day event, that was a huge event we had to raise the money for that that cost twenty-six thousand dollars to put on we raised we raised that twenty-six thousand dollars in a month and in, in actually less than a month and uh we and that was as i said you know like when you're organizing a rally for a for an hour on parliament house lawns there's not much you have to do but when you're doing it for five days you've got to have uh toilets you've got to have food you've got to have water you've got to have first aid you've got to have all that kind of stuff so that Logistics were huge, um, and so um, we created the PCA as a um, uh, unincorporated organisation to to run that. We got bank accounts and all that kind of stuff, and that's what we did. So that was the big event. That was the core. That was what generated. It was to run that event. But after that, we said, "Well, we've got this organisation. Why would you throw it away?" So we kept at it, and now we're in. You know, now we get involved. We go to uh, i you know i 'm on a lot of these um, like this studio care thing that we 're on at the moment that 's something we can get involved in um, the other thing that 's happening in Canberra is we 've got a canberra hub for the um, uh, for rising tide in Newcastle for the the port blockade coming up in November and that can, that uh, Canberra hub for rising tide is organized through Xr but all the groups are involved, again, because all, when, when we put something on, everybody turns up, you know. So that's, you know, we cross-advertise cross, cross advertise and amplify our effect by doing that.
1: Where do you think Australia and the rest of the world is ha- heading with the climate crisis?
2: It's heading to hell in a handbasket, I'm going to tell you. Um, it's, look, um, I'm, you know, Personally, I'm very pessimistic, um, but I have to be an optimist because I've got grandkids and I can't give up on them. Um, so, mm. yeah. I'm so the I'm in I'm a the situation same. where I, um, I, I look at – I just, you know, say goodbye to one of my grandkids this morning. She's heading back home to New Zealand and uh, she's only six years old, you know, and she's got a whole life ahead of her. And I think, what sort of world are we leaving in? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel pretty bad about it because it's already mm. pretty grim both Australia and New Zealand have copped huge uh, climatic events in recent, you know, in the last couple of years. Um, and uh, so they, they, they cop a lot, same as we do, and uh, they, only, they get it in different ways. But, I mean, they've had – I've been over there in New Zealand visiting my daughter and stuff uh, when they've had bushfires raging, and, that, you know, that's an un, not unheard of but an unlikely event to have lots of bushfires in New Zealand normally but it's getting now that the country's drying out um, and then they get these huge floods like they had uh, only a few months ago when Napier just about got washed off the bloody mat um, from huge floods and I've got relatives uh, my wife's cousins are down there in Napier and uh, we were quite concerned about their welfare for a while so um, but I look at what's happening around the world and I'm really you know, really really concerned I just can't understand why the politicians can't see what I can see, um, and why they aren't doing everything in their power, and they might think they're doing everything in their power, but they're not trying.
1: Yes, yeah, so I agree with you about all that stuff. I, I'm amazed too. I, I think they can see it, but they, they'll, if they follow the sort of course they need to follow to solve this issue, they'll lose their seat.
2: Yeah, but I mean if they don't do it, then we all lose our lives. I mean, I just can't <laughs> see right. that, I can't see that, mm-hmm. you know, the thing is that uh, the trouble with being a politician is that a lot of them are there just for, to win again and to be in power. Well, being in power is useless unless you do good. Yeah, and if you're yeah. not doing good, you, then you're a, you're a waste of space. It's time you are left. Mm-hmm. And I think with a lot of the politicians, I mean, I think a lot of them are a good-hearted people, but they get caught up in their system. And they can't seem to break out of the system that they're in, Mm. and that they, yeah. People play roles. I was just watching last night on. uh, There was a a a video of uh, just stop oil protest in the Netherlands, and a policeman grabbed a young woman and virtually almost ripped her wrist off the way he did one of those wrist locks. You know, Mm. terribly excruciating. And and I thought, what sort of person are you? How would you? How could you? Yeah, you know, I couldn't imagine having a son or a husband or a or, or a father like that that would do mm. that to somebody. You know, it was just cruel mm. and inhumane treatment. And I I, I just don't understand. People fit, play roles. You know, um, they get into a role. So he's got a role as so a policeman. He thinks he's got to be tough, but he doesn't have to be. He can mm. be outside of that role. Politicians think they've got a role to get back in power and they think that they have to do it in a certain role, a certain way. But yeah. we, we know that there are politicians who break that mould, you know, who step outside of that and can mm. do different things. You know, you've got to have, like, you know, there were so many politicians I've seen over the last few years who have uh, thrown away opportunities, like Turnbull. When he got in, you know, I've never... Being a supporter of the Liberal Party. But when he got in, I thought, here we've got a chance. Here's a yeah. person that I would support if he was willing to take the risk. But he mm. wasn't. He mm. was too afraid. When he first got in, I think there was enough – he had enough goodwill in the country after getting pushing Abbott out that he what could they have, like
1: political ca- capital, didn't he?
2: Capital, political capital. He had yeah. enough political capital. He could have done a lot. But mm-hmm. he did not have – despite the fact that the party might have been against him – the people were for him, and I yeah. think he would have, you know, even Labor people and, and were saying, oh, well, here's a chance. We might get somewhere with him, but he, mm. he, was, he was a failure. And, uh, and Morrison was just a complete disaster, of course. But, you know, yeah. our present Prime Minister is not doing what he needs to do. He's, he's, he's under, under-promising under and under-delivering, you know, because yeah.
1: you can't... It says he, all the right things but doesn't do the right things.
2: Well, so if, if, if you keep opening coal and gas mines, how is that doing the right thing? Because anything else you do is completely negated by that, and that's where i get I get so frustrated with it uh, you know that they they're looking at going ahead with places like Woodside and all these coal mines that the minister's giving a tick to, and of course, I've had a yarn to our local politician here, our local member. And I said to him, you know, this isn't good enough. He said, well, she's governed by the, by the law. She has to approve things according to the law. I said, yes, but you're in Parliament. You can change the law. And if you were serious about it, you would, up, you would bring that to the top of the list of things to do, and you would change the law.
1: Well, thanks, John. It was so good to talk with you. And it sounds like the People's Climate Assembly is doing some wonderful, wonderful work in Canberra. We've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It's been great to have you along. Now, please feel free to share this episode with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis. We need to know who's saying what, why they're saying it, what it really means in answering the climate crisis. So please share this. Also, I'd love to hear from you. I want to know what you think about this podcast, good or bad. Don't hold back. Let me know. And you can contact me via email at r.mclean7 at icloud.com. And please follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Again, take care.